0: Welcome to the Pulse Podcast personal conversations about life, leadership, and legacy with inspiring founders, entrepreneurs, and leaders of industry. I am R. Adam Smith, founder of Wisdom Board. I am pleased to host this podcast episode. Wisdom Board is a fast growing digital leadership platform powered by curated content, blue chip services, valuable human capital resources, and an expansive expert network. Wisdom Board is dedicated to empowering excellence for private companies at the board level. I'm here today with Tony Wood, the Principal National Practice Leader uh, for the Family Office Business at RSM US, one of the world's largest accounting firms and a terrific organization. I've known Tony for many years. He's been at RSM himself since 2013, but really has become quite a uh, inspiring and wise leader in the family office business. It's great to have you here today, Tony, with us on the Wisdom Board Pulse podcast.
1: Well, thank you so much for the invitation. And um, I really appreciate you and all that you're doing.
0: Well, it's good to see you. You're looking uh, great. Uh, and now we're entering spring weather. I hope that you and your clients and uh, your your colleagues can start to get together again in this unusual environment. Um, first, uh, maybe tell us a bit about how the um, life is changing in the workplace for you and your hundreds of direct reports. And there's, uh, I think, tens of thousands of employees at RSM. would Just be curious to see where things stand right now for you. And where do you think that's going to go?
1: You know, it's been an interesting uh, dynamic for us. Uh, we Uh, very quickly had to remove to a remote uh, environment and and getting over 12,000 employees to go remote and try to make it as seamless as possible. We're very happy how that worked. We're very happy with some of the planning we had in place. Uh, But we're now experiencing kind of what does it look like after COVID. And so we're having a lot of discussion around flex schedules. We're having discussions around Uh, giving our people the discretion of where they feel they're the most effective. Uh, We've really not been a firm that has pushed or mandated uh, any type of return to office policy. I don't see that changing. Uh, In fact, I think that we have demonstrated the level of productivity that can be maintained. Now we're starting to get into a season where clients are comfortable now getting back face to face. We're getting, uh, especially with some of our families and some of our retreats that that we didn't facilitate last year, we're starting to see those pop back up and asking for participation and and client facing type of of interaction. But I don't uh, project our offices to open uh, back to full capacity uh, in in this year at all. I, I see that really moving into next year.
0: Okay. And just for our listeners, RSM International is a network of many, many uh, audit, tax and consulting firms with about 45,000 people across the world in 120 countries. But I didn't realize that the firm actually has quite a legacy. is founded around 1925 or so. Uh, maybe tell us a bit about rsm and and what it is and how it's different and how did you make the decision to um to shift from your own your own entrepreneurial businesses into a much larger organization
1: well it's funny um the the firm began uh, as mcladry was the original brand ira mcladry started the firm in iowa and um, as the firm progressed we, through acquisitions and what we would call strategic targets, picked markets that we thought would be fantastic to expand the footprint. And over time, you know, we've done that to 90 locations in the US. And as you mentioned, 120 countries with roughly about 45,000 professionals that have the brand. What's been very interesting about it is the brand itself. We did an entire brand change to drop McLagery, And bring in RSM so that there would be continuity uh, around the globe that would allow us both with our network firms and our U.S. firm to create a brand that people would know uh, would be the same. And then we could develop levels of service, levels of branding. And so we did that uh, five years ago and it's been uh, very successful for us. Now, part of the RSM McGladry is still in the end, inside of RSM. But that rebranding was a was a, a great undertaking and something that has helped us. When you start looking at how we we operate around the globe for family office, we have a global board and it's made up of 10 countries, 10 major primary financial market countries that the head of that practice who leads family office or family owned businesses sits on that board. And so we look at everything from uh, country specific governance, jurisdiction, domicile. We look at a lot of the planning and then we track trends so that we're able to share in that board, how we want to grow the practice and how we want to serve that client. So it's really helped us to not have just one dimensional domestic, but really multiple dimensions around the globe.
0: Okay. And recently you were promoted. um, Congratulations in October says here that your colleagues EJ Netter uh, brought you into the national enterprise leader for family office. I didn't know you could get Another another level up from where you are without hitting the the C level or board ranks, but apparently you could you could get promoted again. So what does it actually mean to do to do what you do, and how for those that are involved in the family businesses or family offices or enterprises, what is the difference between these days managing a business for family office or single family office, and how does that differ from private client services from an accounting firm perspective?
1: It's a, it's a great question. Um, what we um, we've been in the family office space for a long, long time, uh, and, and it's been a it's been a uh, staple of what we called private client. Um, what we realized a couple of years ago is that all three of our lines of business were working with families, whether it was audit, whether it was consulting uh, or tax. What we decided to do is that we needed to create a common methodology, a common service map. And so we decided to take leaders in those three disciplines and have them report up to one individual who would not only oversee domestic, but would oversee all of the global. So that that individual would set strategy, would also look at creating um, what we call additional service maps that may not be uh, traditional to what RSN has done. And so I was asked to step into that role uh, as well as continue to lead private client. And real difference is, in private client, we serve uh, really five verticals. We serve very much about 40% of our practice is family owned owner operated businesses where the decision maker, the CEO is that patriarch and matriarch of the family. And we're managing the business as their largest asset. And that's one vertical. We have another which is focused around private equity, where we look at all the MDs. We look at how they would want a firm to step in and help them manage where the fund is their largest asset. And then, of course, we have the traditional ultra-high net worth practice, which has a lot of the estate, gift, and trust in C-suite. And then we have a very large international private client, which is the, that multinational client that has one foot in and one foot out. And then we have a large financial intermediary practice. So. My job is to make sure that um, uh, on the PCS, we continue the tremendous growth we've had. But in the family office, it's really been around harnessing the power of the firm and bringing together continuity and collaboration across all three. So, uh, yes, I, I, it's, they say it's a promotion. I don't know if it's a promotion. I think it's another task. And uh, I've been very privileged to do it.
0: Congratulations. Well, it's a quite a run for the firm. I do remember working with. Uh, RSM Equico in our first uh, buyout actually um, in, our, in our current partnership 2005, the firm was quite smaller then. And I do remember the merger and the rebranding. I think that now the firm is, uh, according to the latest Accounting Today uh, report, um, has retains its position as the fifth largest firm in the, in the world uh, in the accounting industry. But I think in our conversations in the past, you've noted that the culture is quite unique and it's more of a, a, a family partnership. People get along, they cor- work together. Like how do you, how do you see the, the, the culture of RSM uh, being distinctive and what's important about it to you for you and your colleagues? And then how do you relate that culture as a partnership to some of the partnerships you work with in the family office industry?
1: I, I I try to think of RSM. It's it's a group of entrepreneurs working with entrepreneurs. You know, all of us who are partners and principals think like an entrepreneur. And that way, when we're engaged with the client or potential client who is an entrepreneur, there's a lot of commonality to the dialogue. There's a lot of ways in which they're setting up the business. That helps us promote it inside the firm. We uh, we really have this culture and this collaboration, and and we kind of feel that what our job is to focus on one firm mindset, not location, not what's good here, but what's good overall. Um, I have loved that. I think it's been, for me, a great way to kind of get in and understand and then thrive within a group where you've got aligned um, integrity and character. And um, it, it's, it's very similar to playing on a, on a major field, but feeling like you're still at the playground and, and everyone there knows your name and, and, and knows you well. So I like that intimate nature of how we run the practice, but entrepreneur serving entrepreneur. And that really transcends well into the family office because uh, many of our families come to us from everything from, um, from governance all the way down to HR questions. And so we really have to have a team that can sit down and kind of answer the questions, not talk. At a client, but talk with the client and try to solve a lot of those things that they're looking to do.
0: That's great. I assume you're quite busy that you won't be finding any spare time to be setting up a SPAC for yourself. In the
1: <laughs> it is amazing with SPACs. You know, we uh, we have a SPAC team, uh, like all firms, and uh, they are extremely busy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the music will be playing for a bit longer, as long as the liquidity and the interest rates uh, are as they are, and there's so much stimulus coming in that uh, you know just the expectation of the stimulus and just the expectation of the Fed keeping the interest rates where they are is is creating a lot of forward-looking demand. Of course, as as the market is usually a, a, a leading indicator, right? Um, where do you see the economy going this? year and how does the change in the economic environment affect your family offices' uh, decisions for let's say m um, and You know are they looking at more recapitalizations or monetizing some assets now that uh, the prices have been more stabilized? Uh, or do you find that most of them are just indifferent to to market cycles when they look at their at the liquidity of their operating companies?
1: Well, let me start with the SPAC first, you know, one of the things that I, I feel has happened is SPACs have been around, as you know, for a long time. I, I think that you have a convergence of a lot of things. The, the, the current economic environment has allowed for SPACs, I think, to have a resurgence. I think there's also this better understanding and application of where the SPAC actually fits. And I I think that's not going to go away uh, anytime soon. It seems to me that uh, that appetite and and the investment capability is going to be there. So I agree with you on that statement. As it relates to families, um, we're getting a lot of different questions and dialogue um, around their investment thesis. Um, Many have not deviated. They maintain the investment thesis. They may walk away from opportunities during this period of time because of the difficulty of diligence or the difficulty of maybe seeing how is that going to affect my long-term strategy. But but really, it's really having many examine that investment thesis, looking at the existing portfolios. And then the M&A activity is, is it another bolt-on to an existing portfolio or do we need to be moving into an opportunistic way of grabbing either distressed asset or looking at Uh, an opportunity that we may not have looked at pre-COVID that sits in the the M&A opportunity for us today. So we do have a lot of talk around the investment thesis and has anything changed. The M&A piece is we thought we would see a slowdown and we haven't. In fact, we we continue to see not only a resurgence, but a very tactical M&A market today where it is very much... Uh, a focus. And we have been able to complete transactions during this process. Uh, we've actually uh, done, done one ourselves during this process. And so um, the exciting part is I don't see that going away. I think the M&A, especially in the family office, is an attractive way to continue to um, deploy capital. But I also see more families looking outside for the first time for additional advisors looking at the diligence and bringing in different advisors to help guide them uh, in maybe areas they hadn't been before.
0: I agree. We've been talking for years about private consulting or consigliere work. Uh, I do that on a smaller uh, uh, level than than you do, but I have seen that demand pick up and have advised uh, several single-family offices on principal matters or or preparation for M&A or governance restructuring. But um, I think as those families grow, as their family office organizations grow, or the MFOs, multi family office organizations grow, they will have to increase their commitment to organizational structure, to hiring cultural, ethical, uh, HR standards, policies of both uh, gender inequality and what their CSR and even ESG um, uh, commitments are as as their footprint gets bigger and their staff and their boards get bigger and they become more institutionalized um, i know that you and uh, your ceo joe adams have been quite ambitious in the uh, csr front um, but i because the family office as an industry is quite opaque and quiet there isn't as much press or or information about that so just curious, you know, what is going on um, under the radar screen in terms of uh, corporate responsibility, corporate social responsibility and, and impact and, and ESG, the whole, the whole uh, new evolution of governance? What is really going on within the family office industry? And, and if they want to do something about it, you know, what directions are they going in to fortify those, those efforts?
1: Well, you mentioned, you know, something the firm is, we're extremely proactive in in this area. And it's something that Joe has done an amazing job as well as our leaders of making sure from the CSR and also with ESG and the different things that it's one thing to say you believe in and it's another thing to continue to promote it and push uh, change. And that's something we've really been focused on. This matters and it matters to families. Um, I, I have had dialogue with several in the significance and importance around it, uh, why it matters to them. It's also even looking at their investment thesis of, you know, should we be investing differently? You know, is there a um, moral imperative to say we should be looking at companies that do it this way? And so those questions have come up. And, and the other thing we're starting to see you mentioned, you know, in, in my appreciation of you and your talent is in that consigliere role, that person, that advisor who can sit in that's, that's unbiased. We're starting to hear more of that of is there, are there individuals who can sit in the chair and walk us through this that, that are really, their vested interest is our success. So we're seeing really interesting changes um, that, that are coming about because of the need for more information, more guidance, and wanting a pure, independent voice, so that when you mention ESG, what does it mean, and oh, by the way, how does it tie into our governance? How should we be thinking? And so there's a lot of both external and personalizing going on.
0: Certainly those that are involved in um, advising large private companies have been quite busy. It doesn't have to be Goldman Sachs, but I know my friends over at BDT or Elizabeth Nesvold and her team or uh, my, our friends up in Chicago with uh, McNally, that the whole area has been become quite, quite activated uh, as private wealth has grown, wants to grow further, wants to be diversified, either um, expanding the organization um, as you guys did. Let's say you picked up Canada. Uh, you might have a $10 million family office that wants to become 20. So uh, as with any services organization or any organization that grows organically, it's very hard to get from 10 to 20 without doing some M&A. And if you want to do that M&A, you're going to have to to involve outside advisors to get it done, not to mention outside capital. So I think the last topic I'd like to, to query is, How large does it make sense for family offices to grow as a private organization without overly institutionalizing? Is it still an unwritten chapter in this evolving industry, given that it's been just five or 10 years, I think that the US family office industry has really been growing more institutionally. Interestingly, how do you compare that to what you, your colleagues see in Europe when they have such a longer history of consolidated wealth and families? So what does that look like over there in Europe over the years? Uh, let's say uh, the Kwan family office with the BMW, or you have Ikea and, and, and uh, the Benetton type, type platforms. How does that compare to the U.S. industry? And so where do you think that we're going to go over the next 10 years?
1: Well, I would agree with you. I think that the U.S. has uh, really become more institutional uh, on the family office side than probably anywhere else. I think it's to be determined on what that number will eventually be. It's really kind of a bifurcated mindset. You have uh, some families that are extremely comfortable with wealth as it is today, but it's more of a wealth preservation mindset. We wanna preserve, we wanna make prudent decisions, and these are the prudent decisions. You have the other side, which is more active.
0: So let's say the first one could be a Bessemer type of organization.
1: It could be, could be a typical, you know, MFO like a Bessemer. The other side is really active. And what, what it, it's, it's no longer just the preservation of wealth. It's really the growth of wealth and the sustainability of that wealth. And we're seeing a lot of active investing, a lot of growth, a lot of ways in which to enhance that. Outside of the U.S., it's really too different. If, if we're dealing in, in, for instance, our uh, Singapore, Hong Kong offices, family offices, relatively new. Uh, it really is more of a special purpose company or a business or a family who has wealth, but it's still tied in that Gen 1 or Gen 2 level. It hasn't moved on. And the reason is that it's very controlled. It's very cultural. Um, and we see a lot of movement in that area, but not as, as quickly as we're seeing U.S. and Europe. Europe, as you mentioned, you know, you're dealing Gen 6, Gen 7, Gen 8, and they're really focused around not only preservation, but there's a, a different mindset of the way the investment structures are working. Uh, domicile jurisdiction, there's a whole bunch of things going on there. And so the advantage I think we've had is having a great U.K., Presence that like we do having a great presence in Dubai, great presence in, in 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 France and and Switzerland. We get a whole lot of the data, and so we're seeing trends. And what we're trying to track is where is it going to end up? Is the U.S. is the U.S. going to be the leader, or is it going to kind of stay with how Europe has kind of looked at wealth and looked at the complexities of family office? And so it's something we talk about, something we see a lot, and. Uh, a lot of questions, and now I think the biggest question we're getting is domicile. Should I maintain a U.S. domicile? Should I move to Singapore? Should I have, you know, a one foot in Switzerland, one foot here? So it's it's really great dialogue, but it's interesting to kind of see it develop.
0: That's that's very interesting, and certainly the the uh, relative. Uh, if not murky tax benefits that used to be more in some of the European corners have been, have been eliminated. So it does open up yep. the playing field, right? Uh, and, and I'm sure you're hiring uh, people with a lot more uh, of multi-foreign language capabilities probably to, to, to cover the world. Well, as we think lastly about at, at Wisdom Board, certainly we're trying to support the pursuit of excellence at the board level. And that includes governance for the legacy of the company and also the support and balance of the organization, its employees, its culture, and, of course, at the same time, pursuing growth and creating profits uh, so that the organization can be profitable and continue and survive. You've been very supportive of many hundreds of families, and I think that a lot of people uh, look to you for wise counsel. I, I think you're a very approachable, and professional person. So um, Thank
1: you. Very kind.
0: It's great to see you continue to grow in that role, taking care of the livelihoods and lifestyles and uh, wealth uh, protections of, of, of tens and tens of hundreds of people. That's a very important role. Um, maybe the last question would be, if we look at the, uh, the newly freed uh, evergreen huge ship in the Suez Canal that has been dislodged from its uh, un- unfortunate uh, sticking, uh, maybe make an analogy to... What is one of the one challenges that you enjoy solving for, uh, for your clients these days?
1: I would probably say that the biggest uh, enjoyment I have is still around family legacy and governance. What does the next generation look like and what do we need to do to prepare them? Do they understand the social responsibilities of wealth? Um, but I, I do really enjoy the dialogue around legacy. I do like also... There's this resurgence of looking at governance and family constitutions very differently now, and um, we like being in the middle of that. And then I think the thing that we're starting to see is this concept for the first time of best practices: um, what's transferable and how how families should be thinking, and really promoting those dialogues, promoting those type of interactions. And so those are probably be the three that. Just love it, and I love to be in the middle of it. And I think as a firm, it, it's most people think, you know, why would an accounting firm be there? We think it's the value add. It's the way in which people want to know what do you know, and how can it help me, and, and what should I be thinking that I'm not thinking about. So, legacy and governance and um, are just critical and best practices is, in my opinion, is a great way to leverage what we see going very well.
0: That's good. Well, we all try our best. Uh, It's always great to hear your positivity. I like to think of a quote that I I keep handy called that a good day starts with a good mindset. So we have to be positive and think forward and bring that positive energy to, to our lives and also to our clients. It's great to have you today and to see your continued success and look forward to seeing that continue ahead.
1: Appreciate it so much. And thanks for inviting me. I appreciate the time with you.
0: It's my pleasure. Pulse is a digital collection of personal conversations with respected private company experts. Pulse listeners enjoy lightning lessons, wisdom and journeys of interesting people. Pulse is a production of Wisdom Board, a trusted leadership brand dedicated to empowering private companies to achieve excellence in the boardroom. Wisdom Board lives on LinkedIn and online at wisdomboard.co. Please subscribe to our podcast, available on all major channels, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. I am R. Adam Smith, founder of Wisdom Board. Thank you for listening to the Wisdom Board Pulse Podcast.